All right, welcome back, everybody, to Story Symbol Spirit, a podcast on how to make sense of scripture. My name is John McCambridge, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host. I'm Jackie Mitchell. Jackie Mitchell. Now, Jackie, will you explain to the people why uh, there are some people on staff who call you Jackie Jones? That I is neither your maiden name nor he, your married name. I've never been Jackie Jones <laughs> legally in any capacity. But now, for some reason, when I see you, I say Jackie Jones. Why well, Why is that a thing? I think, I forget what exactly happened, but I scared Kaylee really bad one day, our kids director. Yeah. And I like came up behind her or something. And I don't even think I meant to scare her. And she yelled, Jackie Jones. And I was like, <laughs> who why, is that? Why are you saying that? It was so funny. It just stuck. <laughs> and it kind of stuck. But that is like, so, so Kaylee Whipple, yeah, our kids director is like the best person you'll ever meet. Yeah. And she's also like completely out of control. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And in she the best lived, way. Like and, she yes, just yells, yes. talks to herself all and the time. And she lives her yeah. life in stream of consciousness. Yes. Yeah. So it's like, why would she call you Jackie Jones? It's like, well, it was in her head. She and I used to briefly share an office. Really. I hijacked her office. Mm. I didn't have a place for a while where they yeah. were, we were building on some extra offices and I would sit in a chair in her room. Yeah. I remember that. And she would talk out loud, Insane. but not all the way to me all the time. Like it was just, and I did that too. So the two of us yeah. were just like constantly chattering in that room. And Emma's office was next to us and she's more introverted. And I think she was like, please yeah, just close like the door. To me. Shut the door, please. <laughs> so I'm glad you moved into a different office. Yeah, we were separated. Um, so Jackie, last week we mentioned the uh, the great candy salad controversy of oh, 2024. And this is a very classic Jackie Jones move. Yeah. Not only did you essentially win and candy salad is now a thing. And people are calling it candy salad. And they're calling it candy salad. You made candy salad like one of the party favors that we gave to our membership class yeah. at the last. It, so 70 people came requested. and received candy it salad. Was, was, and they wrote candy salad on the the cards, which I didn't, you know, I didn't make them do that. But Abby wrote candy salad as like uh, yes, the little I, I, indicator. I, I'm aware. And <laughs> the thing, the thing, this is like in, uh, in like war, in military battles, there's like, there's like, total victory you know where you, feel you that this was this is like total victory yeah, for you i definitely because yeah. like not only did people not it's like oh yeah we acknowledge that candy salad is a thing it's like we made it gave it to our new members made it a centerpiece of yeah. one of the most important things that yeah. we do as a church yeah. which is bring people into the community and they just all went home with what is called candy salad candy salad it was a great hit so you smashing win smashing success you win you and tiktok win again i know it wasn't my idea i, I saw it online but. all right well uh Enough about you. <laughs> Let's talk about me. So, yeah, what's going on with you? I just got back from the Alters I was conference ask you that. in New York City, which was, you know, it's like a conference that's that is for anyone, mm -hmm. but it mostly targets like church leaders. Mm -hmm. And the idea, uh, this is Church of the City in New York. Uh, with Pastor John Tyson is the leader of that church. And I'll talk about him in a moment, but he's been extremely influential in, in my life and in fellowship of Jesus. And he has this idea that there's five altars, or I believe is what he says, five altars. There's the altar of the heart. There's uh, uh, the altar of the home. Mm. There's the altar of the church. There's the altar of the, the city. Mm. And there's the altar of the region. And this comes from, because he's like basically made his life work to study revival and oh, then to yeah. call it forth. Yeah. And you're trying cool. to do that in New York City. Yeah. And there's some some revivalist, I can't remember who, uh, that's kind of like his theory that when all five of those altars are lit, revival happens. Mm. And so this was kind of like a conference for church leaders to talk about what it means to light the altar, you know, of your heart and the altar of your home and the altar of the church. Mm -hmm. 
right? Uh, as as church leaders, and so it was like very encouraging to be around people who are like more intense about Jesus than you are. Yeah. Right. So depending on your context, like a lot of times, you know, being a pastor at a church, the level of devotion that I try to 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 bring into my life is more than mm-hmm. most people that I'm around. Yeah. And uh then you go to a conference and like the opposite is true and you see people who seem to be moved by God in in a way and with an intensity that mm-hmm. that you kind of never have have. <laughs> mm-hmm. And people who are dedicated to consecrating their lives to Jesus mm-hmm. and to be holy and to be set apart and uh and so that was a, a really really kind of um inspiring like revivifying experience for me. I took Matthew McVeigh, one of our worship leaders and you know, basically ruined his life in the best way. You guys came back. Yeah. In the best way. Um, Do you have like one, I mean, it's hard to boil it down, but like, what was your biggest takeaway? Can you even answer that? Yeah. You know, uh, part of, part of the conference is, you know, one of the things that church of the city does and what they're calling churches to do is to, you know, become houses of prayer again. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that the they have a prayer pastor, uh, he's uh, his name is um, Sam Gibson, and he's the head of church, uh, Pray NYC, and is then also on staff at Church of the City, New York. And he said something in one of the breakouts, and he said that uh, apple trees produce apples. Mm-hmm. So if you want to create a culture of prayer at your church, the first step is that you have to have a culture of prayer in your life. Mm-hmm. So you have to be a praying pastor if you want your church to be a praying church, which uh, was 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 very good. Now, um, like I said, John Tyson's the pastor of Church of the City, and he's he's like one of the loudest voices in my life. And so uh, we have gotten questions before about you know who are the people that influence me, who am I reading, where does some of this stuff come from? Because obviously, like it doesn't come from myself. Like I uh, am pretty forthright about the fact that I don't have a lot of novel things that I gain from scriptures. I have a great catalog of very smart people mm-hmm. who I repeat mm-hmm. and uh, take that stuff from. And so John Tyson is like way up at the top of the list. Yeah. And there's another speaker there's name's Corey Russell, who is also in terms of somebody who preaches, who sets your heart on fire for Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, Corey Russell is way up there in the top of my list. And so, um, you know, in terms of scholars, I've talked about Tim Mackey. Mm-hmm and James Jordan mm-hmm. and Stephen DeYoung, who's an Eastern Orthodox scholar, biblical scholars like that. But in terms of pastors and preachers and people who set my heart on fire for God, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I have my pastor, Joel Kovacs, 514 Church. And then you have, I have John Tyson and Corey Russell, yeah. basically. And there's other influences, uh, of course, as well. But those are the people that like, if they do something, I listen. Yeah. I listen to them. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, so, so go ahead and, and, and check their stuff out. If you get a chance, Church of the City of New York, John Tyson, uh, Corey Russell has some stuff. They're, they're very different from each other and they're very different from the expression of our church in many mm-hmm. ways. Uh, but, but all that's good. All that's helpful yeah, and, and good in, in the church ecosystem. So hopefully they get that classic story, symbol, spirit engagement bump. Now yeah. that I mentioned there, there you go. I, you know, nobody stopped me at the conference to. to no one stopped you. Uh, yeah. oh, are you that guy from Story Symbol Spirit? Yeah, no, no it was that? probably one of those things where they're trying to be humble. You know, like they didn't want to like yeah. bother me, right? Right, because right, like world famous that. podcasters always get <laughs> stopped in the street, and so that was kind of nice. Like it kind of felt like you know, just a break from the noise. I appreciated. I appreciated that they were acting like they didn't know who I was. <laughs> you know, uh, now if we would have been there together. 
the paparazzi would have yeah, been Yeah, we probably would have actually ruined the conference. So I'm, <laughs> I'm glad that, I mean, I wish that you went, but I'm glad that you didn't for, for the sake Just of for the altars. Sake of the, yeah, the yeah, altars. All right. <laughs> so anyways, Jackie, last week we finished up Genesis chapter mm-hmm. 34, which we titled The Disaster at Shechem. Yeah, it's a tough chapter. Right, so what do we talk about in that chapter? What, what happened there? So one of, um, one of Jacob's um, daughters, actually, Dinah, mm-hmm. was kind of taken advantage of, humiliated, um, we said most likely assaulted by this guy named Shechem. Mm-hmm. And her brothers took revenge in kind of an extreme, <laughs> kind of crazy way yeah. that we said was maybe an overreach and also effectively discounted them from being the one to continue um, the lineage right. um, to become the seed or the heir. Um, that that we've been talking about through this whole podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it was, it was actually like uh, a tragedy on on several different levels. Yes, because it, it was a tragedy what happened to Dinah, right? And then it was a tragedy what happened in response right. to Dinah, right? Like it was like a lose lose situation. It was right. fighting fire with fire, right? Yeah. And so it's kind of interesting. Like, just I, I, one of the things I want to be clear about is like. Uh, there, there is, um, there, there are differences in the way that that culture views men and women, mm-hmm. and the power dynamics of that culture between mm-hmm. men and women are different than our modern culture, and that's and that's true. Yeah. But one of the things that sometimes people take this to the extreme, and like I do want to point out that once the law is given to Israel, like rape, sexual assault is not legal. Right. It's punishable. Right. And adultery is not legal. Mm-hmm. Right. Like the sexual ethic of the people, mm-hmm. men and women, uh, is is something that is addressed very clearly in the law. Yeah. Right. So what happens to Dinah is a disaster. It's an outrageous yeah. thing that should not happen in Israel, is mm-hmm. what they say. Right. But then the response of the brothers is quite remarkably bad. Yeah, because they don't just kill or deal with Shechem. They kill basically his whole tribe. He kills his whole tribe after making them become circumcised. Yeah. So basically Technically, after asking them to repent and come into the covenant, yeah. they kill their brothers. Yeah. Is there another story that you can think of where a brother kills his brother? Well, Cain and Abel. Yeah. The chief sinner yeah. of the of the origin stories, mm-hmm. right? And so this is a huge problem. And and the the people of God are supposed to be a light to the nations. They're supposed to be attractive to the nations. And what does Jacob say at the end? You've made me stink to yeah. the other nations. Yeah. <laughs> so the opposite, right? Um, so in terms of literary structure, it's kind of interesting. In chapter 26, uh, Isaac has Jacob and Esau. So he's given sons to carry on the covenant. And if you remember that chapter, he has scuffles with the Gentile herders mm-hmm. at Gerar, right? Uh, because he keeps digging wells and what do they keep doing? Just take them. Yeah, they're like, this, this is mine now. Oh, I, I, this is my well. And how does he respond to this? Because we actually talked about this at the time, that this was quite remarkable. Yeah, because we didn't talk too much about him. He right. gets he kind of gets passed over pretty quickly in the narrative. He's pretty patient um, and he just keeps going. Yeah. Until what? Until he finds another yeah. well. And he doesn't get bothered. Yeah, that he's not bothered by. And I think he calls it, I can't remember, he calls it something like there's like there's enough room or there's enough <laughs> space, right? Like it's like, yeah. Um, and so what, so then, you know, he's in the land of the Gentiles mm-hmm. amongst people who are not from the, the family of God. And as a result of his patience and the way that he handles the scuffle, these situations, what happens at the end of that chapter? Do you remember? He's blessed. Yeah, they. he's blessed by the Gentiles. Yeah. Abimelech, mm-hmm. Phicol, they make a covenant, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so contrast that with what we just read last chapter. Jacob mm-hmm. has his sons mm-hmm. who are the carriers of the covenant. They scuffle with the Gentiles because something is taken from them. Mm-hmm. But instead of acting in accordance with the covenant like Isaac did, what do the sons do? They kill everyone. Right, the opposite, yeah. right? 
And so instead of being accepted and blessed by the Gentiles like Isaac was, which is part of the purpose of the covenant, Mm -hmm. what happens at the end of chapter 34? They're rejected by them. Yeah. Yeah. And so this is actually part of the complication going forward. Um, Isaac, you know, did not have his sons act for him in that moment. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's because Isaac was uh, a part of, you know, a family structure that's called patriarchy Mm -hmm. where the father is the head of the household. And so he gets to do what he wants to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jacob, who was renamed Israel. We talked, we mentioned this last time. This is the last chapter. It was the first time that they're, they're spoken of like as a nation, Mm -hmm. right? Because it says, so, an outrageous thing that does not happen in Israel. In Israel. Before that, we just knew Jacob as Israel. Was Israel, yeah. right? And so uh, they're now the sons of Israel. So there's like this nationhood thing that's mm-hmm. starting. And nationhood is more complicated than family, clans, clansmen mm-hmm. dynamics, right? Because, you know, you kind of see this with democracy. It's much more complicated than like a true monarchy, mm-hmm. right? Because it's like, oh, he's the, he's the head. He's the king. He gets to decide. Yeah. He's the patriarch. He gets to decide what happens in the family. Well, Jacob, when this thing happens to Dinah, he waits for his sons to come home. Mm-hmm. And part of that's because they're the princes, mm-hmm. right? There's some kind of nationhood thing that's being started and it kind of complicates things. And so uh, one thing that is is usually not emphasized enough, and we're going to, the first 15 verses is what we're going to go through of Genesis 35 today, um, that the the covenant, is just as compromised right now as it ever has been. Mm. So that's not usually the takeaway from that story, right? The takeaway is usually like, should they have killed all those people? Um, uh, like, what should they have done, right? Because they ask a good question at the end. Should our sister have been treated like a prostitute? So what? Sh- how should they have responded? Mm-hmm. Like, how does this all... And so we want to know all these ethical Mm-hmm. answers these questions, which are good, which is good to dive into. But the narrative emphasis of the story is that the covenant's in jeopardy now. Yeah. yeah. And so that's a problem. Uh, and that's what we're going to address today. So let's do, um, it's actually just Genesis 35, one. Mm-hmm. Then God said to Jacob, go up to Bethel and settle there and build an altar there to God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. Okay. So we, we start to now like remember things mm-hmm. that have already happened in the story. So in Genesis 27, Rebecca, who's Jacob's mother said to Jacob, arise and flee to Haran and stay with Laban a few days. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's because the covenant was in jeopardy. Cause Esau was going to kill, gonna kill him. Yeah. So here the covenant's in jeopardy because these Gentiles are going to kill Jacob, mm-hmm. right? Which is what he's told his sons. Mm-hmm. And God pretty much says exactly the same thing. Arise, mm-hmm. go, go, to, to Bethel and settle there. And so God tells Jacob to build an altar. Yeah. And this is uh, the only time in the text so far that God tells anyone to build an altar. Otherwise people are just building them. Right. Hmm. At least, you know, in terms of the narrative, right? Right. Like yeah. there's no stories of, you know, Abraham was building altars all over the place, but there's no stories of God telling him to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it stands out to some degree and my interpretive framework for this is basically that God is reassuring him mm. that the covenant still belongs to him, Mm-mm. right? Mm-hmm. And because of the son's actions, the covenant's in jeopardy. And so I think God is saying like, you're still with me and I'm still with you. Mm. And so the thing that those who are with me do, which is build an altar, mm-hmm. go and do that mm-hmm. and build it to me. Uh, and so, um, you know, this is like... Uh, 
something that I think can point forward to the new covenant. Yeah. Right. Because one of the things that we claim as Christians is that we're in the covenant and what are the conditions of that covenant? Mm-hmm. Like what's the conditions of our covenant? How do we enter into the covenant of, of God? As through Christians? grace. Yeah. Through Jesus Christ. Yeah. We're washed by yeah. his blood. And that's basically the only entrance requirement. Yeah. Right. And so, uh, in the life that we live as Christians, we're in the covenant of God, we have the spirit, and yet there is still sin mm-hmm. and evil that oppresses us and that comes out of us. Mm-hmm. And so if you, Jackie, are in a, a situation in your life where there's a certain sin pattern mm-hmm. that is like plaguing you, mm-hmm. how does it, like, how does that sometimes affect the way that you approach God? I think like it, it makes you feel shame or like distance from him, right? right. Yeah. Yeah, because it's like, you know, let's say that you have a morning devotional mm-hmm. and that's a part of this what you've structured into mm-hmm. your life. And, you know, in whatever way, the night before, mm-hmm. there was some kind of sin that you know is wrong mm-hmm. that you entered into. How does that time in the morning usually go? Much harder to do mm. that, right? We say yeah. that we're saved by the blood, but it feels yeah. hmm. like that's not enough, yeah. right? And, and it affects us. And uh, uh, part of you know, Christian maturity is coming to understand that the covenant can't be destroyed by Mm -hmm. sin, right? That the blood of Jesus is infinite. And Mm -hmm. so there is no finite amount of sin that that blood cannot wash. Now it requires repentance Mm -hmm. and it requires confession and it requires something of us, right? Mm -hmm. Which is the other thing that Christians sometimes get wrong because the love of God is unconditional, but the covenant of God is not unconditional, Mm -hmm. right? So there are conditions to it, repentance, fellowship, allegiance, mm-hmm. dedicated life, all that stuff. Um, but the washing of the sin uh, does not affect, or, or I'm sorry, sin does not affect our standing because mm-hmm. it's been washed by the infinite mm-hmm. blood of Jesus, mm-hmm. right? And so I think this is like some, like this line or, or this story is actually beautiful in that way. It's not mm-hmm. usually read like that, but it's beautiful because what God basically says to Jacob is what, God says to us every time that that we fall, and what He said to Noah, essentially in the Noah. Noahic covenant, and what He and what Jesus does to Peter, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I heard somebody say, "Now this is this is something to to preach on." I heard someone say that there's actually no difference between the betrayal of Peter and the betrayal of Jesus. It's just that Peter gets restored. Mm. Like Judas betrays Jesus, but like so does Peter. Yeah. He looks him in the eyes yeah. as he denies him three times, right? Yeah. So sometimes we think those are like different things. The only difference is the restoration that comes through Christ. Because Peter repents. Because Peter repents yeah. and Judas kills himself, mm-hmm. right? And uh, so um, God is reassuring mm. Jacob that yes, this happened and the covenant is has to be restored, um, but it's still with you. Mm-hmm. Is not taken from you. And so he specifies the God who appeared to you when you were fleeing your brother Esau. And you kind of wonder like, why does God, like if you saw Yahweh, like, do you think he needs to be like, hey, you remember, you remember, remember me? Remember me, that guy that showed up? <laughs> yeah. And so I think it's a parallel um, from when he fled Esau because, um, the, because in that moment, the covenant was in jeopardy mm-hmm. and God restores, God mm-hmm. appears to him and, 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 and reemphasizes the covenant. And here the same thing is is true, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, let's uh, God comes to reassure. Let's see uh, how how this goes. Verses two and three. Mm. 
So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, get rid of the foreign gods you have with you and purify yourselves and change your clothes. Then come, let us go to Bethel where I will build an an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I've gone. So he communicates with his family and says, Mm -hmm. get rid of the idols, which we didn't really know that there were idols. Are these the ones, well, that they stole from uh, Laban? Yeah, maybe. Has just been keeping them? I don't know. That's a, that's that's kind of one of mm-hmm. the things. Is like obviously there's some kind of idol worship that's going on yeah. with the family of Jacob. Yeah. And so just get rid of the idols, purify yourselves, and change your clothes. Mm-hmm. So we'll talk about the idols in a moment. But what about wash yourself and change your clothes? Mm-hmm. What do you think that What do you think that indicates? Well, I think that indicates like just. I mean, in our culture, that's like you're getting ready to do something new, mm-hmm. right? Like yep. if I'm like getting ready to go to an event, got to get ready, go mm. shower, change my clothes, get ready for the day, whatever right. it means. So it, it kind of signifies like a new chapter. Yeah. I think. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, you know, clothes are symbolic, mm-hmm. right? Like clothes are something that we wear and it, it, they're on our bodies, mm-hmm. you know, they're like intimate mm-hmm. to us. And so I read a commentary that says that this is a parallel that goes back to Genesis 3. Mm. Because when the humans fall, what does God do when he meets them? He makes them clothes. Yeah. He replaces their clothes. They make Mm -hmm. clothes out of fig leaves and he Mm -hmm. gives them animal skins. And there's all kinds of other symbolism to that, which I think we talked about in that that chapter. Yeah, absolutely. Um, But Jacob said at the end of last chapter, you have made me stink. Yeah, that's true. You have made our witness to the very people that we're supposed to radiate the glory and beauty of God to. You've made it odious, mm-hmm. made it smell bad. You've made it repulsive. Mm-hmm. And so we don't really talk about sin like this mm-hmm. in our modern world, but the Bible actually talks about sin like this. Yeah. Like it's gross. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a stain. Mm-hmm. It's an infection. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're tainted by it. Right. And, uh, you know, especially sins like idolatry and sexual immorality and like the taking of a life, mm-hmm. right? Like those three sins in the Old Testament are looked at differently. Mm-hmm. I mean, when we say today that ev- all sin is the same, that's mm-hmm. not true. Mm-hmm. All sin takes you away from God, yeah. right? So like, yes, in that sense, that's all true. Yes. But it's not true to say that all sin is equal. It's mm-hmm. not. And it's not in the Old Testament either, right? Yeah, the law deals with different sins differently. Right. So we know that's not true. And the Jerusalem Council in Acts yeah. says there yeah, are certain exactly. things Gentiles yeah. aren't supposed to do. One of them, sexual immorality, right? So that's one of the reasons the church stands on a very unpopular opinion mm-hmm. at the moment of what is sex and marriage. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but there's this idea, like, again, like the Bible is more, way more serious about sin than we tend to be in our lives. Yeah. Right. And And I wish we were more serious about it. Yeah. Like, I think if we really thought sin was disgusting like this, mm-hmm. it wouldn't be so attractive to us all the time. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, what he says is, and what this is showing is that it defiles you. Mm-hmm. And so when you wash and change your clothes, that's symbolic. Mm-hmm. But in the way that we talk about symbolism on this podcast, which is that it's actually real, mm-hmm. the symbolism and the enactment is not ritual for the sake mm-hmm. of ritual. It's like a participation mm-hmm. in what's real. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, um, you know, it's true. And uh, as Christians, can you think of a ritual that we participate in Mm. that is similar to washing and changing your clothes? Baptism. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So baptism means all kinds of things, but Mm -hmm. it certainly means a cleansing. Yeah. And uh, what does Paul say about like a life with Christ? Mm -hmm. He has this command. He says, 
put on Christ, mm-hmm. like clothes. Mm-hmm. So you have your old garments and we're supposed to put on new garments, the garments of Christ. And then you get into the water and you get washed. Mm-hmm. So all of this is going right through, right? We keep yeah, saying like that, that New Testament theology is not new theology. Yeah. It is fulfilled Old Testament theology. Mm-hmm. We're still in Genesis, mm-hmm. right? Now we are getting there. I mean, guys, we're as, pretty as far. As I come to you with a half yeah. episode today, but um, it's all right there in the early text. So whenever you become involved in idolatry or sin, there has to be a washing yeah. and a cleansing and a change of garments. And so you see the precursor to this here. And then in the, in the Torah, you're going to see the purity laws. Mm-hmm. And we tend to look at the purity laws like they're bad. Hmm. Because if we were to call someone unclean, like I'd be pretty offended if someone called me that. Right. And so you have to understand how how are they talking about it here, mm-hmm. right? And it is the presence of sin makes you unclean. God is in the temple. You want to walk into the temple, you better cleanse yourself. Mm-hmm. You better take that holiness seriously. Mm-hmm. Um and uh so you have the the clean unclean laws in the Torah, then you have baptism in the new Testament. Right. Mm -hmm. And the baptism is, you know, infinite. Mm -hmm. And so every time we fall and come back to God in his grace through his, through the blood of his son, uh, we, we change our garments Mm -hmm. and wash ourselves. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so this is all still happening just in a fulfilled way. Uh, and so then Jacob tells his family, come on, we got to go. And, uh, James Jordan, who's a commentator, uh, brought this to light for me in Genesis four, Cain killed his brother. And then what, what did God make him do? Leave. Yeah. Okay. So what did technically Levi and Simeon do? They killed their, at least brothers under the covenant their covenant brothers. Yeah. And so now what do they have to do? They got to leave. They got to leave. Um, and so Cain left and Cain built a city. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't seem repentant. Yeah, it seems to be for himself. Right, God protects him, mm-hmm. but he's not. But he's not repentant. So he leaves, builds a city. Um, what is uh, Jacob's yeah, headed to? What is Jacob supposed to build? An altar. An altar. Yeah. Okay. And so this is repentance and restored mm-hmm. worship being mm-hmm. being offered by God. So let's do uh, thirty five four. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods they had and the rings in their ears, and Jacob buried them under the oak at Shechem. Yeah, so I think that the presence of these foreign gods is behind the disaster that we witnessed at Shechem, Mm. right? Idolatry is to worship the principalities and powers of this world. The Christian understanding of demonology is Mm -hmm. that any of those gods who have fallen away from God, it's not just that they're like weaker than God, it's that they hate you and want to kill you and destroy you. And they hate the covenant Mm -hmm. and they want to take the promises of God from you. Mm -hmm. So if these men are worshiping these false gods, uh, then the influence of these gods forces them or leads them or tempts them to do something that destroys the covenant yeah, and the relationship sure. with God. Uh, and so then um, what about what about the earrings? Yeah, they buried the rings they had in their ears. I'm wearing yeah. earrings. Do you want me yeah, to take so you, them out so for you're, this episode? So you're or? wearing earrings right now, Jackie, which <laughs> okay, I gotta bury a problem. <laughs> um, but what, what do you, like when you think about how the Bible talks about ears, Mm-hmm. You know, how does it, what is, what is, what's the point of ears? Both to listen biologically. And to, yeah, to listen and to respond. We talk about listening and like not just hearing, but receiving right. and understanding a lot. Yeah. So when, um, um, I think it's from Isaiah, the call of Isaiah, 
is you're supposed to go and preach this to a people who will never hear you. Won't hear you. Yeah. Right. Their, their ears are stopped up. Mm-hmm. And that's what Jesus says about his parables. Mm-hmm. Right. He says, yeah, I teach in parables because those who don't have ears won't hear me. Yeah. Um, and, and so uh, I think that these earrings, first of all, where did they get this gold? Maybe from plundering Shechem. Maybe so. <laughs> yeah. Maybe like war spoils. Right. Right. Cause, uh, um, you know, we kind of juxtapose this with the other times where the Gentiles blessed them. Mm. So when they leave Egypt in the Exodus, they're blessed by the Egyptians because mm-hmm. the power of God, mm-hmm. they give them stuff. And part of what they give them is gold mm-hmm. that becomes earrings. Uh, and so that's the way that we're supposed to get this stuff. Right? Yeah. Well, those earrings don't end up in a good place either. So what happens right? to those earrings? They get melted down and they become a calf, a right. golden calf to worship. Exactly. Mm. Uh, now, an interesting thing about that is what was supposed to happen with that gold. Mm. Supposed to build the tabernacle, the tabernacle with it. The, yeah, right? the yeah. yeah. So that's pretty interesting, yeah. isn't it? Um, but, you know, uh, for us, like you're wearing earrings right now. Why are you wearing earrings? Uh, part of my outfit. Yeah, it's yeah. decoration, decoration, right? Decoration. It's like uh, something we put on ourselves, uh, but for pre-modern people, jewelry and tattoos, because there were, you know, to, and marks of the skin, yeah, uh, was never just about that, right? Mm-hmm. It was what we would call religious. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I hesitate to use that word because our understanding of religion is bad. Mm-hmm. Religion is life, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, they were worshipers of this God. Like, yeah, that's who they were. Yeah, they were giving were. allegiance yes. to. Yeah. Uh, and so earrings are in the ears, which is how you hear. And so there's something about the ear and hearing your God that's deeply connected. Mm-hmm. And so the earrings um, are from the Shechemites, mm-hmm. which means that probably something about the earrings has to do with their gods. Mm-hmm. And they were just also taken wrongly. And they were stolen. Yeah. I so mean, they were just not theirs to take. So if you're going to get rid of the gods, the idols then you have to also get rid of the earrings that link your ears Mm -hmm. to those idols, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, And so what do they do with these gods? They stick them in the ground, is that right? Yeah, they bury them, huh? Yeah, they bury them. Under the oak at Shechem. Right. So what do you you bury? Dead things. Dead things. Yeah. So the the gods are dead. They kill the gods, right? That's that's what this, it's humiliation. It shows shows their impotence, which is Mm -hmm. part of the theme that we've seen with these false gods Mm -hmm. throughout. And we'll continue to see this in the Old Testament, right? There's nothing they can do about it, Mm -hmm. right? The covenant carriers of God um, bury them Mm -hmm. and they're dead. Just like when uh, uh, Rachel was sitting on Laban, Mm -hmm. her father's gods. Yeah, they didn't do anything. Yeah, exactly. Powerless. Mm -hmm. And so um, the gods are gone. The earrings are gone. Let's do five through seven. Then they set out and the terror of God fell on the towns all around them so that no one pursued them. Jacob and all the people with him came to Luz, that is Bethel, in the land of Canaan. There he built an altar, and he called the place El Bethel, because it was there that God revealed himself to him when he was fleeing from his brother. So the terror of God falls on all the towns, right? Oh my gosh, yeah. I heard uh, um, at this conference that we were just at, um, I think it was... I think it was either, I think it was Corey Russell. It might have been, been Sam Gibson, but basically said that they want to be so so connected to God in prayer and devotion that when they enter spaces, the atmosphere changes. Mm. And I was like, that goes so hard. That's crazy. That's, that's pretty sick. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, this happens here. Mm-hmm. The people of God go into a place and the fear of the Lord mm-hmm. comes upon the place. And part of this is because God is protecting them. Um, we, we, we link this with Cain already. Mm-hmm. So, so God, you know, 
expels Cain after he kills his brother. But what is what? Is, how does he bless Cain? Mm, he protects him. He protects him. Yeah. So these Israelites have just because um, remember Cain is like, if you send me out of here, like they're I'm, all they're going to kill, kill me. me. Yeah. And so God protects him. What is Jacob worried about? They're going to the kill Canaanites him. killing yeah. him, and so they get expelled. But then the terror of God falls yeah. upon the people just like that. Um, and we're going to see this in Egypt. Mm-hmm. Where uh, or in the Exodus, when they come out of Egypt and start to wander through the Canaanite territories, the f- the terror of God comes upon those territories, and, yes. they're, and they're protected, yeah. right? Um, and so they come to to Luz or Luz, mm. and Jacob already named this place Bethel. Mm-hmm. You remember that story? Yeah. <laughs> but he's going to name it again, just for good measure. Yeah. So this was Jacob's ladder. Yeah. Right. Jacob's staircase, Genesis twenty eight, and he named it Bethel Bet El. Yeah, it's so interesting. He's naming it El Bet El. Yeah. Yeah. And remember that El means God yes. and it also means mighty. Yeah. So God is mighty house of God or or mighty house of God or, you know. Yeah. Um, and w- why did he name it Bethel in Genesis 28? Why did he name uh, it house of God? God was in that place. Yeah. It was the house of God. God came near. Yeah. Right. He looked up the stairs and saw God. Yeah. So he's like, oh, God's here. I'm going to call it God's here. <laughs> yeah. So right now this place is called Luz, which is the the Canaanite word. Why? Hmm. It belongs to the Canaanites yeah. right now. It's promised to the Israelites, but it belongs to the Canaanites. And so um, it, it, biblically, um, to call the place Bethel or to call it Luz or whatever you call it is not just a term to denote geographical territory has spiritual significance. Mm-hmm. And so this land right now belongs to to Canaan and his descendants mm-hmm. who are cursed by God. Mm-hmm. Right? Because of Ham. Mm-hmm. In Genesis in Genesis 9 and what he did to his father Noah. And so this place actually belongs to the Hebrew people, mm-hmm. the descendants of Jacob, but it's not yet been given yet. Yeah. And so in the eyes of God it belongs to the sons of Israel, and that's why they keep naming it things for God. Right? So mm-hmm. So it's named Bethel again, house of God. Mm-hmm. He builds an altar, which is what was commanded of him. And an altar sort of points back to Jacob's ladder because an altar is you start it on the ground and you build it up into the sky, yeah. just like stairs. And uh, he names it El Bethel because that was where God revealed himself when he was fleeing his mm-hmm. brother. And now this is where God reveals himself again like when God, he's fleeing his brothers. God is in the house of God. God is in the house <laughs> of God. And so they're really telling you, like, remember that story. I know it was just a couple chapters ago, but remember that God appeared here when you were fleeing your brother. Yeah. Now you're fleeing again because of something that happened with your brother. Can I ask, do you think that a lot of the repetitive nature of this is because a lot of this was like, or rated like a lot of these were stories that were mm. maybe not told back to back. So the repetitive nature of some of these are like, remember, cause I told you four months ago, not like yeah. remember cause we read this two chapters ago. Yes. Yes. I think so. Yeah. I think the repetitive nature of it is like, Hey, don't miss this. Well, yeah, that's true. Right. Like, um, and so if you're telling someone a story or if you're giving like a sermon or a talk, there are certain ways to articulate things and to repeat things that 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 help people remember. Yeah, we talk about this in like worship leading, you know, 
people get like, oh, well, worship songs are so repetitive. Well, what are we repeating? First yeah. of all, that like the Lord is holy. Right. Well, do you need to remember that? Yeah. Seems like maybe I do in my own life more than once. If I forget it, shouldn't I repeat it more and more? Yeah. 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 Uh, w- kind of like the seraphim in heaven. Yeah. Just sing holy, holy, holy. Yeah. Right. Um, and so there's, yeah, there's like a repetitive nature to these stories that's like obvious and purposeful mm-hmm. to the point where when you read them, you're kind of like, is this is something wrong with this writer? Yeah. Like, did he forget? Oh, this is, oh, the God who had appeared to him previously appeared to him again. It's like, you're like, I know. Yeah. yeah. Right. But he's trying to make you think of something. Mm. So let's do uh, 35, eight, and then we'll read a, a couple bigger sections to finish. Now, Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, died and was buried under the oak outside Bethel. So it was named Alan Bakuth. Yeah, so um, this is just kind of like a random thing that's thrown in. Yeah. Right? And uh, this is Rebecca's nurse, and Rebecca was Jacob's mom. Yeah. And so we heard about her before, and uh, she's not mentioned by name in this story, um, but she's either close to her death or or perhaps has already died. Did we even know she was with Jacob? Um. She was, I don't think she was with Jacob. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Right. So this somehow just like he's, they heard about it or she was there. Yeah. So somehow he's, he's connect, he's reconnected with mm. at least the, the nurse, mm-hmm. right? The, the wet nurse. And so uh, if you remember the story of Rebecca, Rebecca's a hero mm. and Rebecca's not often taught and talked about like she's a mm. hero, mm-hmm. but Rebecca, the name we talked about is actually a play on the Hebrew word Baraka, mm-hmm. Baraka, Rebecca, yeah. right? which means blessing. Mm-hmm. And so she was that she was the hero of the Jacob and Esau story. Mm-hmm. She was the one who protected the covenant. Mm-hmm. Jacob only did what she told him to do. Mm-hmm. And so uh, she is so exalted in this story that Rebecca's nurse, who is not part of the family, yeah. is given a proper burial mm-hmm. because she's connected to Rebecca, mm-hmm. who's, who's the righteous one mm-hmm. in those stories. And so then even the nurse has a high standing among the family of Jacob. Mm-hmm. And the common interpretation is that the, that tree is called Alan Bakuth, which means Oak of weeping. Yeah. So someone just connected to Rebecca and her faithfulness dies and gets buried under the Oak of weeping. Yeah. That's intense. So there is definitely, I mean, we've talked about this before, not to belabor the point, but there's definitely something about, the lack of uh, focus that we put on, I would say so far in the story, Sarah and Rebecca and Leah and Rachel, mm-hmm. that's a problem. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're like obviously very instrumental characters. Yeah. And the only reason you would mention that they're, that her nurse got buried and called it the Oak of Weeping. If she was very important. Cause there's no yeah. stories about, uh, there's no stories about Deborah. Right. Right. So it's not it's not like oh this woman who did all these things that we've mentioned before died and that was really sad she's buried. The reason that it's so that she's important is because she's mm-hmm. connected to the righteous one mm-hmm. to to Rebecca. So so she gets buried and then we'll do nine through thirteen. After Jacob returned from Padana Ram, God appeared to him again and blessed him. God said to him, "Your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel." So he named him Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you, and kings will be among your descendants. The land I gave to Abraham and Isaac I also give to you, and I will give this land to your descendants after you. Then God went up from him at the place where he had talked with him. Yeah, so what's weird about this? We we already know this. <laughs> here's here's that repetition again. Yeah. So why do these stories keep getting repeated? 
Yeah. Why is it emphasized so much? Uh, you know, the parallels are that God appears to Jacob before and after his journey to Padan Aram. Uh-huh. And he blesses him both times. Mm-hmm. And then God renames him uh, Jacob at Peniel mm-hmm. uh, when when he wrestles with God. And here he he renames Jacob Israel again. Mm-hmm. And so this is for a couple of reasons, right? Number one, God reiterates the promises to him, a nation and a community of nations an assembly of nations will come from you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so Israel is not just a person. We have moved into nationhood, yeah. right? And the ancient concept of nation is very different than our concept of yeah. nationhood, but nonetheless, it's different than a clan. Mm-hmm. It's different than the traditional, you know, clan patriarchy that we've seen is growing into something more. And this is good because it indicates that finally this promise is moving forward. Mm -hmm. God promised to make him a nation, Mm -hmm. Abraham. Now it's actually starting to happen. And and then that nation is supposed to bless the nations. Mm -hmm. But so far with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it was always within family clans. Yeah. Now you start to see the nation. The nation of Israel. Right. Yeah. And uh, then what is this thing about kings? Kings Kings will come from you. Yeah, kings. descendants. So uh, this is interesting, right? Um, Jacob, does Jacob already have all his sons? Almost. Almost. Who's missing? Benjamin, the youngest. So Benjamin is the youngest. So we know as Bible scholars <laughs> that we are, Jackie, that uh, from David mm-hmm. all the way to Jesus, the true king, they all come from what line? The tribe of Benjamin. No. Oh. Sorry, Judah. Judah, yes. Right? So they all come from Judah. Yes. So so it would make Sorry. sense. No, you're good. It would make sense to say a king will come from your line. Okay, yeah. But well, if you two, started David. Really, David and Jesus. And Jesus. Yeah. And they're all from the same line of, of the same son. Yes. Who, which king are we missing? Saul, who comes from Benjamin. Correct? Benjamin. Who's the first king. The first king. Saul is, yeah. So who does Jacob not have yet? Benjamin. Benjamin. Who is the other king? Yeah. The tribe of Benjamin. Yeah. Right? Hmm. So this is basically a prophecy about the birth Mm, of Benjamin. mm -hmm. Gotcha. Which comes next. Mm -hmm. With very next line, which we'll get Mm -hmm. to next week. Um, And so... um, You know, this... It's interesting, right? Like, this is the way that the Bible can, can like, put this stuff together. And so, try... uh, Nations will come from you. You'll have descendants. Kings will come from you. Why is God reiterating the covenant with Jacob with Mm -hmm. such intensity? Well... Isn't that nice for Jacob? That's reassurance because essentially his sons have almost lost yeah. the covenant, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So again, like we have to read the story with the urgency yeah. that the biblical authors do, which is that everything that they're supposed to be was ruined yeah. by this action uh, of, of Simeon and Levi. Mm-hmm. And so they murdered their circumcised covenant brothers, mm-hmm. right? It's not about eye for eye, tooth for tooth. It's not about justice for, for, for Dinah. This is about the covenant, mm-hmm. right? And they murdered their brothers and they've become an odor to the nations. And so the question mm-hmm. is, okay, well, that's what the whole point of the covenant is. Yeah. So is it over? Mm-hmm. Did the sons fail? Um, when when uh, when Moses, okay, so, so when Noah is the only righteous person left, God wipes the earth mm-hmm. and keeps Noah. Mm-hmm. Later, when Moses comes down and sees them worshiping a golden calf, what does God say he wants to do? He's going to wipe all of them out. Wipe them all out, but keep Moses. Yeah. Now we'll restart with you. New, new Noah. And Moses says, don't do that. Yeah. Right? Um, and so 
here, the covenant has been ruined by those who are supposed to carry it. Mm-hmm. And so what, logically speaking, is the result of that? Mm-hmm. So it's gone. Just wipe them yeah. It's gone, right? And uh, this section is all about how the covenant is still going. Mm-hmm. So God repeats all these covenant promises mm-hmm. to, to, to Jacob, renames him again, and has him build an altar uh, because he's, he's showing him that the covenant is still mm-hmm. with you, that it's not mm-hmm. being taken away from you. Um, and so again, to, to do this kind of uh, uh, parallel of Cain and Abel, which is the preeminent story of sin, uh, one of the things that means is that to be in the family of God means to not kill your brother. Yeah. Right? Now we, we laugh at that. It sounds so simple when we say it. Right. But you have to understand, like, I don't know if you're a Christian, there are Christians in this world who kill other Christians. Well, and you have to understand what Jesus says about murder. Right. Because you can say like, oh, I've never killed my brother. Yeah, Jesus is like, if you've even been angry at him, you've that's killed a good him point. in your heart. And so to be a covenant carrier of God mm-hmm. means to not be a brother killer. Yeah. But Cain was. Mm-hmm. And that's why he's not the covenant carrier. Mm-hmm. Now these sons are. Mm-hmm. And what we're going to see later is that what they do to Joseph is basically, mm, they still him. are. Yeah. They still are. And so how do the people of God, mm-hmm. how are they, how are they helped mm. up until Jesus not be brother killers? The Lord. Yes. <laughs> yeah. God. And the law. And the law. Yeah. Right. Cause like there's going to be things in the law that's like, Hey, don't kill each other. Mm-hmm. Again. Yeah. And we're <laughs> like, uh, duh. Of right, course. Right. But it's like the biggest problem so far has been not killing people. That has been a big Actually problem. Actually has been like the central, mm. like what's my struggle is like someone's trying to kill me or I'm trying not to kill someone Yeah, or I killed someone and I got to leave. And this, in the pictures of righteousness we've read so far are people doing the opposite of that. Mm-hmm. Patience, mm-hmm. trusting God, long suffering, yeah. right? And so they need a law. Mm-hmm. That's why when we get to the law, we have to see it not as a bad thing. But I don't think, I think we only see the law as a bad thing when we don't read from the beginning. Because yeah. I think by the time we'll get to the law, it'll be like a sigh of relief for us. Uh, yeah, Certainly exactly. it would be now. Exactly. If God could just tell them like, here's exactly what yes. to do. Because so many of the things that happened in that last story are addressed in the law. Right, yeah. Right? So first of all, don't kill your brothers. Yeah. Second of all, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. You don't get to slaughter their whole village because they did something to you, uh-huh. right? It's There's some kind of limit and the retribution that should have happened to Shechem would have been outlined correctly. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And so, uh, this is why, you know, um, things get really egregious mm-hmm. and the law is given mm-hmm. and that's a good thing. And then in the book of judges, they forget the law mm-hmm. because they don't have a King. Mm-hmm. And so the whole point of judges is that they need a King because they need the law to be enforced because if it's not, they they kill each other. Yeah. What is is it the end of Judges that says and everyone did every whatever was right in their own eyes. Yeah. Such a there sad was no way king in Israel, so everyone did what was right in their own mm-hmm. eyes. Well, this right what we saw what we saw uh, Simeon and Levi mm-hmm. do that's what's right in our mm-hmm. eyes. There's even something about that story we mentioned this last time where you're almost kind of like I don't know if I'm mad at them for doing that. I know they raped their so, sister. Yeah. So right? it's like yeah, just kill them all. Yeah. And so there's something in our souls that has to be limited mm-hmm. by the commands of God, mm-hmm. because if it's not, we can ruin everything. Yeah. Which is what the sons have done, but God is gracious and says that 
it's still with you mm-hmm. and re-ups it with, with, uh, with Jacob. Mm-hmm. And so we'll wrap up with this, uh, what I'll call like a, an offering of oil and wine on the pillar. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's do uh, 14 through 15 and we'll wrap up for today. Jacob set up a stone pillar at the place where God had talked with him and he poured out a drink offering on it. He also poured oil on it. Jacob called the place where God had talked with him Bethel. <laughs> Once again. So what do you call this place? It's called Bethel. Have you ever heard of it? <laughs> I thought that was a church in California. <laughs> All right. So a pillar, like we said, is a representation yeah. of a, of that ladder to heaven. Mm-hmm. So where did Jacob actually encounter this ladder to heaven? At Bethel. At Bethel, yeah. right here where he is. And so now he builds a, a stone pillar, a stone pillar, basically a representation on it. Starts in the, on the ground and goes up into the sky. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he pours a drink offering, which is wine mm-hmm. and an oil offering. Mm-hmm. So symbolically speaking, as we go forward in the Old Testament and into the New Testament, both wine and oil represent kingship. Mm-hmm. So wine has to do with kingship and rulership, which is why uh, Noah gets off of the the, the boat. Sets up a vineyard. And right? sets up a vineyard. Yeah. And all of that is over and he is the king mm-hmm. in this moment. And so he rests with wine. Mm-hmm. That's why, like, I think the interpretations that say that Noah got drunk and that's mm-hmm. and that's part of the sin and all that, I don't mm-hmm. think that's correct. Mm-hmm. Kings drink wine mm-hmm. and it represents their rulership and the relaxation with it represents rest, mm-hmm. shalom, right? Um, things as they ought to be. Uh, now, wine also represents blood. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we're going to see that's that's culminates with Jesus is that to be a king, which is a very hard thing to do, mm-hmm. you have to first and foremost be willing to spill your blood for God and for yeah. your people. And so every example, like Saul is a perfect example of someone who's not. Yes, right? he's not a good king. No. I mean, why does why does David selfish. have to kill Goliath? Yeah, because Saul won't do Saul's it. Saul's there. Yeah. He even gives David his armor. Yeah. Right? He's like, oh, I'll just take my stuff. I'm not going out there. But David is willing to spill his blood yeah. for his people. Mm-hmm. He becomes, right? We're going to actually read a story about what I'll call like the semi-redemption of Judah. Mm-hmm. Because Judah is going to do something that basically disqualifies him from the covenant. Mm-hmm. And then in the blessing of Jacob, Jacob says, you're actually the one who the kingship is going to go through, mm-hmm. Judah. And you're kind of like, how does that happen? And when you read the story with Joseph, one of the things that Judah does is he sacrifices himself. Yes, for Benjamin, right? For Benjamin, yeah. to, to, uh, to bring Benjamin back. Um, when they don't know that Joseph, you know, that that's Joseph who has him hostage. And so that willingness, that is kingship. And so the wine, which represents blood and relaxation and rule is a representation of kingship. And then so is oil, because when the prophets find a king, what do they do to the king? Yeah, they're anointed. And so Messiah means anointed uh, anointed one. Mm Mm-hmm. So basically the Messiah means one who's had oil poured upon his head, literally, mm-hmm. right? Mashiach. And and to christen someone mm-hmm. is to pour oil on their head, well, Christ, mm-hmm. right? Which is the Greek form of Messiah. Messiah. Christos. And so both wine and oil represent kingship. Mm-hmm. And so Jacob calls this place Bethel again because God appears to him again and promises that he will have a nation. And you know, in a way, in a shadow way, that the king mm-hmm. is going to come from this nation, mm-hmm. like the king, mm-hmm. right? So all this, this is even a foreshadow of Jesus. He poured, yeah. you know, Jacob, all thousands of years before Jesus pours wine and oil on an altar to represent the promise that one day a king 
like Jesus will come. Right. So cool. Um, and so he again calls this place. What's he call it? Bethel. <laughs> Are you sure? Don't ever go, forget go, go what this place is called. Okay, that's our one takeaway. From yeah. This and podcast. so and so, what is that? What is that? What does that story mean? Or what does that word mean? House of God. Yeah. And so when God dwells in the temple, it's called the house of God. Mm-hmm. And now God dwells in the church as the Holy Spirit. And so we are called the house of God, the yeah. church. And so what constitutes something being the house of God? Um, it's set apart or it's mm-hmm. it's marked, it's anointed. And his presence is yeah. there, right? Like, well, yeah. like whatever, you know, uh, uh, Tim Mackey, says, uh, actually, it might be Stephen DeYoung, says that um, some part of the confusion is like all the mountains in the Bible. And it's like, is this the same mountain as that? Because mm-hmm. different mountains get called the mountain of the Lord. So there's like Sinai and there's Horeb and there's, uh, you know, the mountain of transfiguration. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, what, what are the, all these? And it's kind of hard to map them actually. And uh, one of the things Stephen DeYoung says is that the mountain of the Lord is the mountain where God is. Right. So wherever he is. So there you go. Yeah. And so the house of God is wherever God is. Mm-hmm. So this is Bethel because God is there. Mm-hmm. The temple is the house of God because God God's is there. there. And the yeah. church today is the house of God because God is, is mm-hmm. here with us. And so that's basically um, how this works. And so the covenant is re-upped and Bethel is marked once again. Bethel becomes important in the story because um, basically Jerusalem in the south is the main city and Bethel in the north is the main city. The main city of the north, yeah. And so um, when Jeroboam uh, splits off and, and the northern kingdom splits from the southern kingdom uh, in, in Kings, he the first thing he does is he builds an altar with a golden calf on it mm-hmm. in Bethel. Mm-hmm. Right? So the disaster that comes upon the north mm-hmm. uh is, is basically essentially blamed because that's not just any place that he puts the golden calf. That's the house of God. The house of God. God appeared here to Jacob. And so it uh, becomes a very important place going forward. We'll finish this chapter, maybe do the rest of this chapter. I think it's like, there's like a genealogy and then maybe the next chapter too. I don't want to promise that, but <laughs> maybe uh, next time. And the thing just to wrap up here is that uh, uh, this is just kind of an interesting pattern. We've gotten far enough through Genesis. We can start to see some patterns. And when, uh, when you read all the promises that God makes, there's three things that mm-hmm. God promises and emphasizes all of these times that he makes the covenant, right? Mm-hmm. Do you know, can you, can you think of what they are? So he promises the land. The land. He promises that they'll have children. Seed. And then he'll promise, he promises like kind of what the covenant is. Like he outlines the marks of the covenant. Right. Yeah. Right. So land and seed marks of the covenant. And then like, in like name. Yeah. Right. I'll make a name for you. Yes. That's what he tells Abraham. And what does he do here with, with, uh, with uh, Jacob Mm. makes him a name, right? Mm -hmm. Israel gives him a name, Israel. Yeah. And so then the land is going to be the promised land. And, uh, the seed is going to be the children that keep Mm -hmm. happening. And, and eventually, um, Judah, and then that seed eventually goes to David mm-hmm. and then to Jesus, right? And the land goes from Israel, Palestine to the church. Mm-hmm. And uh, the name goes from uh, the Israelites to Christians, mm-hmm. right? And you start to see these, 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 these patterns yeah. and the fulfillments of all these things. But it's just kind of cool because the same thing that we 
say marks us by God, mm-hmm. uh, land, name, and seed is the same thing that, that's always marked mm-hmm. by God, right? Now, what gets tricky about this is land has become controversial because of certain theologies like yeah. physical territory. But one of this is the way I like to think about it. Um, Genesis chapter two, how does God make us? From dirt. From the land, mm-hmm. right? And so today, God rests in his land, yes. which is us. Yeah. We are the land, yeah. right? The church is the land. And so, um, you know, the, the nation state boundaries, borders and stuff like that is not actually, in my opinion, the, the main emphasis of New Testament Christianity yeah. because For sure. we are the land, yeah. literally mm-hmm. and figuratively mm-hmm. and symbolically, right? Um, and so you start to see all these things being promised all the way through Genesis and uh, next chapter or, or next episode, we'll wrap up this chapter and then uh, maybe get into Genesis 36. What is Genesis 36 about, Jackie? I don't know. Let me look ahead. Uh, more huh. so the genealogy? more genealogies, baby. Our favorite, you know? Oh, Esau's. it's right out the gate. Chapter Esau's one. descendants. It's like, it's like 40. I'm not going to say how many verses it is because I want to discourage people from listening to it's our It's going to be so cool. This brilliant podcast. Next time. Um, but this will be, be fun. Then we get to... Oh, I got to read all these names. Jacob's really? dreams. And then we get to Joseph sold into slavery, chapter Ooh. 37. And so we're, we're getting there, oh, right? Once you hit the Joseph arc, I mean, it's crazy stuff. I mean, it's yeah. been crazy stuff the whole time, yeah. but... Yep. All right, so we will finish Genesis 35 next time. You got anything else before we go, Jackie? That's it. All right, well, thank you guys for listening and we will see you next week on Story, Symbol, Spirit. <laughs>